Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Look at that. Right, that's the way I need to see your face, sir. Huge. I need to see it big on my screen. How are you, my friend? I am doing great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. My head is already large. It's one of the things my kids joke around with me. They call it like a pineapple shape. So I'm already dealing with a large head. So even larger on the pen screen, it's great. Good. That's beautiful, man. That's the way to do it. That's yeah. awesome. And uh, dude, I'm glad we're getting to do this, brother. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, man, I'm excited. You know, and this is, dude, this is, this is the best part of my week. Like I sent the email out to these guys earlier today. And usually I send it out on Wednesdays ahead of time, right? To introduce the the mentors. So they have time to dig in a little bit. And, um, you know, it was just on the road, man. And so and I've been on the road for the last week, really, and, and easily a hundred hours of work in um, over the week. And it's just like, but last night got a decent amount of sleep for the first time in, in, uh, in seven or eight days and just wake up and I'm, dude, I'm just like, I'm so excited. Like, this is just the mission. This is the work we get to do. And yes. you know that as much as anybody else. And that's why I'm excited about this, man. So, uh, it's, it's rad. It's the best. Yeah. And, and to all the young men out there, I appreciate you being here as well. It's cool to look around the zoom meeting and see everyone ready to roll. It brings me back and I'm sure we'll get into it in my roots. And, uh, so yeah. this is, it's a really special thing for me to see, uh, this group of young men here together. So cool, man. And, and truly grateful for you and the work you're doing. So yeah, I do want to dive into that. And so the way we usually roll with this is um, we will jump in, you know, I want to jump into you. I want to jump into the journey and we'll actually kind of take you back a little bit to where you're this age. You're the young guy that's 13, 15, yeah. 17, right? And want to hear kind of who were you at that point? And were you the guy that was leading other young men around you or were you, right? We're going to start there. We'll get into what you're doing now. And then I'll be quiet and I'm going to open it up to these guys and they're going to have um, the best questions of the day. You know, that's yeah. just the way it's going to work. Gentlemen, let's make sure we are yeah. up, please. Who do we got here? Introducing right. right now. Hey, Elliot, I think that's you, sir. If you don't mind, could you mute, please? Make sure we are golden so that we're not crossing over here. And there we go. Awesome. Beautiful. All right. So. Let's go back to when Dennis was 13, 14, 15. Give us, give us a little bit of that, please. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you for the, uh, for the opportunity here. And I'll go, I'll go a little bit before then. There was a yeah. big moment that happened in my life, uh, one of those core memories that happened. And it was when I was in middle school, my first year as a sixth grade student. I grew up in central New Jersey. I was a really good baseball player. Baseball was my life went on to play in high school and college, coach varsity baseball when I was teaching. Uh, but baseball was everything to me. And for a long time, as many of us experienced, my father was my coach. And I had a really challenging relationship with my father. To my father, um, the way that I perceived love from him was based on how well I did. So if I had a really good game on the mound, I was a pitcher. Uh, I felt like I got more love from my father. Uh, conversely, if I struggled, if I'm up to bat and I struck out three times, mm. I had a really tough, challenging ride home. I got yelled at. I got, you know, basically called every name in the book that a father would call his son when he's not performing up to the level that he thinks should happen. So there was a lot of that that went on in my background. So fast forward to the spring of my sixth grade year, Matt, I was 
Um, I tried out for the middle school baseball team and I was successful. And I went to a very large middle school. And for a kid as a sixth grader, 12 year old to make the middle school baseball team was really unheard of. We had 1200 kids in my school. So for a sixth grader to make the team was really challenging. And so when I made the team, I was ecstatic. I mean, I thought, Hey, this is, this is my experience to go home and tell my dad, Hey, I did something that was like, are you so proud of me Dad? I made the baseball team. What happened though was when I made the team, there were a couple older kids, eighth grade kids that I was friendly with. They hung out with me in the neighborhood. We would play basketball, football, baseball together. They were the guys that I would go up the street to hang with. Well, these three kids got cut from the team as eighth grade kids. And eighth grade kids at the time, like not having a really uh, good opportunity to like experience that emotion of, of the sadness that goes along with not being successful trying out for a sport. What they did was they attached their anger to me. So it was my fault that they didn't make the team as a sixth grader. So these kids, Frankie, Louie, and Vinny, growing up in Central uh-huh. Jersey. Uh, yeah, that's stereotypical not- <laughs> Italian guys. Totally. And so what it started happening was they started to target me as a, like the kid that they wanted to get back at. So they started making fun of me on the bus, flicking my ear, throwing things at me, tripping mm-hmm. me. And if you guys have ever experienced in school, like someone who is – uh, who's who's targeting you for whatever reason. I was really nervous walking through school. So as a sixth grade kid, 12 years old, these kids are going to be in high school in a couple months. I remember knowing each one of their schedules. I knew where Frankie, Louie, and Vinny were going to be, period one, period two, period three, because if I saw them in the hallway, they would throw me into the locker. They would trip me. They would hit me. They wet willies, wedgies. I mean, you name it. I was that kid. I was like Ralphie from the Christmas story with Scott Farkas around the corner, if that reference makes any sense to you. So what happened with me then too, is I, I, I developed this, like I was afraid in school a lot. Then it turned into more physical bullying where it was, I was on the bus ride home from school and I would have to plan my route when the bus stopped, I would sprint to get back to the house. And there were a couple of times that the three of those boys caught up with me and jumped me where I got, I got a beat down, punched, kicked. I got hit with sticks, thrown rocks, thrown at me. And I remember just the fear associated with that time in my life, Matt. And, and one day really sticks out to me. Again, I told you I was a really good baseball player. My father was my coach. This one day, my father takes me for batting practice. And I loved going for batting practice with my dad. It was our time to spend together like an hour, me and him, he'd throw me, throw me batting practice. And, and on the way home from that, we drive past the boys, they were out in the street. And as he's driving past, they they're standing there and they flip up the middle finger you're number one and they yell out f you as loud as they can Mm. and my father looks over at me and he says then what's going on here i thought you were friends with these kids and i'm like dad don't worry about it let's just go home don't i don't want to deal with it right now so he pulls up to the house he walks goes up the street and he tells me to go wait inside and guys it felt like 10 hours i was sitting in my room so nervous my hands were shaking Matt, I was sitting on the floor and I could still remember tactilely rubbing the carpet. I could still remember the feeling of the carpet as I was waiting for my father to come back. And I'm thinking, what is he going to do? Is he going to tell him to leave me alone? Is he going to stick up for me? Well, when the time comes, my father comes into the room. He goes like this. Let's go, Den. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. The other two boys are not going to jump in. And... I remember the, the freezing feeling coming, like starting at the top of my head, going all the way through my spine and I couldn't move. And when, when there's this, when there's a response to stress and fear where there's the fight response where you go at it, the flight response where you run away and there's the freeze response where you can't move. I could not move guys. I couldn't move. And he says it again, let's go. You're going to go fight Frankie one-on-one still. I don't move. And now the tears are streaming down my face. And he looks at me, he goes, they were right. You are a punk. And he walks out of my room. 
Whoa. 12 years old. And that, wait, this is, this is the, the clincher on the story. So the traumatic experience and this traumatic moment, then my mom comes in the room a couple seconds later. And I'm thinking, oh, mom, thank God, the nurturer, the, the one I just, just let me be a kid. I'm really scared here. And I'm crying. And she looks at me and she goes, you just lost your best friend, your father. And she walks out of the room. And so now I have this experience, right? And I'm like, I don't know what to do here. I'm, I'm trapped in this moment where I'm scared to death to be in school. And my safety net, my parents who were supposed to be there to protect me, basically they're calling me, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I'm a punk. And, and my father doesn't speak to Matt for the next 30 days. He, did not, he didn't talk to me at all because I embarrassed him and his masculinity. So that was a core memory for me. And what started to happen to me, Matt, was I started to, I started to, to, people please and seek approval because I didn't want to be left and yeah. feel like I was abandoned. So it changed how I showed up in many relationships in my life. It took a lot of work from coaches, from mentors, for me trying to take those experience and experiences and help other young men who were going through something similar to, until I could finally get over that. So I know some people are probably like, yeah, I was a leader. Wow. I did this. That was a really traumatic experience in a short period of time when I was in middle school. Brother, what you are taught, your your entire movement, your is called building men. What you just talked about was the complete opposite of building. Yep. You just talked about being completely torn down and being completely torn down, not just by the local bullies, but by the people that are sworn and responsible for building you up more than anybody else. Holy yep. cow. So um Man, I was going to, because I said, I was, when you're talking about the coach father relationship, you know, I was going to ask you if you thought the, um, you know, that I'm, I'm uh, relating the approval that I get to my father uh, to how well I do on the baseball field. I was going to ask, do you think that was more a product of how he actually thought, or was it more something that was just your thought? Um, but it seems like it was likely the former right i mean it seems like there that really was a true link there yeah, absolutely matt and the things that i built building men on when we finally get to that is was around things that were the antithesis of things that my father believed yes. to be true about raising a young man and there was always that carrot and the stick there was always the reward so if you hit a home run then i'll give you a hundred bucks if you um if you strike out 12 kids in the game today then the whole family is going to go out for ice cream but if you don't then we don't get that so there was this constant like he would he would give me praise and reward but if i wasn't successful then i didn't get that so it really it, it did a lot to to yeah. change the way my mind was developing right we know you know when you're when you're going through experiences as a young man mm. experiences that you have change the way your brain is wired it changes Bingo. the way your brain is made up and so for you guys having this experience with unbelievable mentors and role models here it's really serving to develop your brain in a in a way where you will become that strong leader where the the stories that I just told about my father, you guys are not going to do things like that because of the men that you're surrounding yourselves with right now. That's exactly it, man. It becomes the story. It's not just the things that are happening to you. It is the stories you start to tell yourself because of that. And that becomes the lens through which you start to look at everything else, right? That's how powerful. And that's how, um, that's why what you just shared, you know, not just heartbreaking as a dad and heartbreaking as a, as a young man who had a similar, some similar situations to what you were just talking about with my own father, right? Like it's not just heartbreaking in that regard. It's heartbreaking in knowing what that does to shift the mindset and the stories you start telling yourself. So that, that it really leads me to a couple of different questions. And I don't know which one, 
uh, for the context of, of your journey would make the most sense to answer first. So I'll let you decide. Um, I, I want to, I want to know if you're able to share, if you wouldn't mind, what is the relationship, if any, with, with your father now, or how did that get resolved if it ever did? And the other question, and again, you decide which one makes sense to go first. Um, how did you shift out of that mindset? How did you shift out of, uh, looking, Thomas, I'm going to mute you, sir. Guys, we got to come in. Got to, got to be careful not to come in hot. Um, so I'm going to, yeah, if you don't mind. So what is that relationship or what did that look like with your father now? And then as far as just getting out of that mindset. Yeah, I'll start with the, with the first question, the, okay. how, my relationship with my father. Now it took many, many years, uh, for me to reestablish a connection. We, we were never estranged from each other, but I always, the, initially after seeking his approval for everything and just doing anything that he ever asked me to do without any level of feeling like I had the autonomy to stand up for myself to my mm -hmm. father, because I felt like if I did, then I would be abandoned. So there was always that in the back of my head. There were a couple of times, Matt, not proud of it into my um, uh, later high school, into my college years, where there were situations where me and my father went toe to toe. Mm. where we were something happened and I was not going to back down from that level of bullying that I experienced from my old man that I stood my ground and we had to be separated mm. it, it was like challenging experiences where like we both had our our fists up and I'm a big guy I'm 6'4 225 so like and I it never got to that point but it was very very close several times so when I when I went into becoming a teacher Matt my father told me he goes you know if you become a teacher you're going to live below the poverty line you want to have a family, do something that you're going to make more money than being a teacher. And like at the time, I, that's what I wanted to do. I loved coaching. I loved teaching. And yeah. so that was the, the type of things that he was saying to me. It wasn't until Matt, I would say the last like three or four years that I was able to really go back into this story and tell the story to him again. Many tears shed again. I, whenever I tell this story, guys, I do get emotional. I do yeah. like I still I feel. I, yes. I feel, I definitely feel it. And it's okay for you to express that same thing. It's okay to express emotion and express that vulnerability. It took me a long time to recognize that's a, that's a strength to be able to show your vulnerability 100%. So when I, when I finally was able to go through the story with my father, we had a deep discussion about it and he has since softened and he's changed um, in his later years. And basically he told me stories about his own upbringing and how he was abused, but it was more physical in nature. And he needed to learn how to stick up for himself and fight at a really young age just to make it through the day. Mm. And so for him, the, the, the physical piece of it, the strength of being able to kick someone else's butt was a big thing for him. He just didn't know how to deal with it with his own son. So right. he thought he was doing the right thing by teaching me to stick up for myself. The way that he went about it was totally the wrong way. Mm. But I was able to see things from his perspective and forgive him. The other thing I was able to do, guys, was go back and tell that 12-year-old Dennis, like, hey, kid, it's okay. Yeah. You're scared right now. You know, yeah. it's okay to cry. What did I need for my father? I need my father to say, what can I do to help you out here? You yeah. want to learn how to fight? Let's go to the gym. Yeah. We'll, I'll put up a, a box and, you know, I'll, I'll put up a heavy bag and I'll teach you. Like, I'll show you, I'll show you the way um, that I didn't get that, but that's what I went back and I was able to give myself that, that piece of what I needed. And I'm at the second question about the shift that I was able to make. Yeah. It wasn't until I was, I was in my last year of college. I did a, my, my degree was in education and I did a minor in sociology. And in my minor in sociology, what I did was I worked at almost a halfway house for young men. And the boys were there because of either the court system. So they got in trouble because they committed a, a significant crime or because they were 
sexually, verbally, emotionally abused at a really significant level. So the, so the Department of Children and Families that are there to protect children put them in the safe space. So I got a job as a, as a bus driver. So I would go after my school and college and I would go and pick up 12 boys from all over South New Jersey, bring them back to this spot. So it was a safe space for them to stay off the streets. And then I would be with them and I was interning as a, as a group and individual counselor. So I saw all the things that they were going through. I saw things that they were experiencing, the fears that they had, the things that they were seeing on the streets, the things the, the lack of, of uh, family dynamics that they were experiencing. And I was like fascinated with the way that they came together and created this community. And these are boys from really, really tough backgrounds and tough upbringings that were raised on the streets that were, one kid was there because his father was sexually abusing him and the kid attacked his father with a screwdriver wow. and stabbed his father with a, with a screwdriver in the neck. And he was in this program. But what I recognize, all these kids from different backgrounds, once we got them together, they were going through similar things as young men. Right. They were sharing similar experiences. And I, what I found was this community was really cathartic. It helped them get past what they were going through because they had the community. And then they had the adults there that were, were there to support and, and to help guide them, but let them like be on their own journey at the same time. So once I saw that, I was like, my calling in life is to do this in some capacity to help young men really experience that community feel much like you guys are experiencing here. Yeah. And then to be able to, to give them certain piece of advice to help them become the best versions of themselves. Wow. Wow, man. Um, there are a lot of really, really good stuff there. You guys, um, I want to, uh, I want to reiterate something that, that Dennis is talking about right there. You guys, he's talking about how he, he, went further than just oh my dad this and he looked further into his dad's past too and said okay why why is he like this what was he doing and he found out that you know what ends up happening for a lot of men is they pass on whatever this is good bad otherwise and a lot of times it is that trauma and then they'll pass it on and they're repeating those habits right you guys we talk about habits all the time you guys need to look at your fathers from that regard and realize they're growing up too they're sometimes passing along things they learned. Sometimes those things are amazing and you need to grasp those and you need to perpetuate that in your own bloodline. Sometimes those are the traumas that they are passing along and you have to understand enough to go, okay, well, that's where that came from. I'm going to forgive him for that. I'm not going to take it personally. And then here's how I'm going to shift the sail as I move forward, right? And every good man wants his son to be a better man than him. Even if he's broken, even if he's got that, he wants to be a better man. He wants you to pass on those, those traits. And when the reason I love that Dennis brought that up too, um, Dennis, you know, I was just at Squire program and some of these young men were there with their dads and we had a bunch of guys there with their dads and it was a great experience, right? We got done. All the coaches went out to, to dinner and I'll tell you what, we all sat there and we were talking about our own fathers, the traumas that they had experienced Thus, they acted a specific way. Thus, we were being intentional about shifting that. And if you don't have that wherewithal to go, look, dad, I forgive you on that. You don't get to be the best version of yourself. So I love the fact that you have done that. And it's obvious in the work that you're doing. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah, we, like the ancestral trauma, right? You know, it's, it's up to us once we get to that point. It's recognize right. it, digging deeper, and then making the conscious decision, like seeing those 
those signs as they're coming up. So for me, like, if you want to get at me, you say, yeah, you sound like your father right now. Yeah. Uh, right, 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 yeah. Immediately yeah, like, like okay. it, it gets me, yep, but it's those times where like, okay, I see it coming. I'll, I'll take a couple deep breaths. The other thing that's really helped me is writing stuff down that what I did initially, when I finally got through it, I wrote down this entire story from start to finish. Mm. And once you were able to write it down and get it out of your head, then it, then it's, it doesn't stay stuck in there and it doesn't bounce around in your head anymore. So I wrote it down and I read it out loud and I read it to other people and it helped me heal through this. The first time I told this story, Matt, I was bawling. I could not get through this story because I went back to this 12 year old kid who was experiencing it. Right. Yep. You jump right back into that persona and it triggers all that same stuff, man. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you know? How did you know to write it down? Or is it just something like, I'm going to write this down and you saw that it helped or did somebody help you understand the power of that? Because uh, Jordan Peterson was talking about that a lot recently oh, as well. I love, I, I, Jordan Peterson is my guy. I absolutely yeah. love that, man. He's a guy that I want to have him on my own podcast. He is, he is like the, the big fish for me. Yeah. But it sure. is, it's, I went through a couple coaching certification programs to help take my experience from being a teacher and then a, a middle school principal. And since leaving the education world, I still wanted to stay involved in a coaching capacity, but I needed a framework to be able to do so. Yep. And one of the frameworks that I really dove into, it's called the Enlifted Method. And it's basically the ideas of, of it's the stories that we're telling ourselves and we're stuck in these stories. Yeah. So what I needed to do was figure out the best way to do it. So as I went through this program, it was me doing the work myself. So if, before I teach anybody else, I need to go through it myself. Yeah. If I'm gonna say, this is what you need to do, I need to, I need to be able to say, yeah, I did it. It's not easy, but it's worth sure. it. So good, man. So you guys, he just talked about the enlifted program. Mark is the one that runs the enlifted program. Mark England, Mark England, my man. I love Mark England, Mark yeah. England. So these guys have my met buddy. Mark England. Mark has come on with us twice, actually, in fact, oh. and gone through so many of the same exercises you guys, you know, have gone through with the enlifted. He's come in and he's gone through it with these guys here. And we've had uh, great conversations with Mark. So do you guys, do you guys see how this ends up happening? Do you guys see how the world ends up doing this where you end up crossing over? You start to see that not only are the patterns of success crossing over, but the people who are implementing the patterns of success, you end up running in those circles. That is the way the world works when you are intentional about progressing in that way. That's it. Right. So you've got another good man who has come across another good man who we've also interacted with. That is the way the world works. I love that you've done that. So you guys might have heard uh, Dennis just say, you know, he was a teacher and he was a he was a, an administrator um, in schools. And so, um, you know, you guys have heard those kind of stories before, too. So be interested um, to hear the why behind leaving that. I know from conversations you and I have had, but if you don't mind sharing that and then. Um, you know, kind of the why behind leaving it and then actually leaving it, what does your day-to-day -day look like now? Sure. So the, the reason that I left really comes back to what I'm doing right now is building men. And so I started the building men program in, in 2005. It was my first year as an assistant principal. And what I did, I, as soon as I, I went through um, my graduate program, I taught um, in a middle school, I was a baseball coach, and then I got a job as an administrator. And I right away, guys, I saw the 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 big issues that I were, was dealing with as an administrator was with the young men in the school. So a lot of these young men did not have role models in their life. They didn't have strong father figures in their life. So they were getting into fights. They were coming to school late. They were getting tossed out of class for disrespect. They were getting failing grades. They were getting classified into special services. It was like a, most of my day was trying to help the young men dealing with something. Mm -hmm. So I decided to do something about it. Let me put my money where my mouth is and let me start a program. Like I saw when I was working with that 
group of, of at-risk youth when I was in college. I was like, let me try to replicate this idea. So I started a boys group and almost every boy in the school joined. It was really remarkable to me. I have, I've always had a good re relationship with the kids, but every kid joined and they would come to school an hour early. We would set it up in a circle. We would start every single meeting, looking each other in the eye, shaking each other's hands. Like we're meeting our girlfriend's father for the first time, or we're going on a job interview. And it was a really powerful thing. And the first thing that I asked him, guy was, what do you think it is to be a man? Tell me about it. What do you think it is? Like, what does that mean? And pretty much what they told me is what my father believed. And there were things that I believed when I was in middle school as well. And what they said was, you have to be a better athlete. Like if you're, if you're the quarterback on the football team, the starting point guard on the basketball team, if you can kick other people's butts, if you're the, the biggest kid, that means you're the better man. And then they said, it's how many girls can you be with or how hot are the girls you can be with? So it became like this sexual conquest thing, yeah. like the number of girls that you can, you can have sex with in high school or beyond meant that you were a better man. And then the final thing was, how much stuff can you get? How much stuff can you accumulate? The sneakers, the car, the house, whatever it is. And what I did was I challenged them to think about if that's what you're basing your masculinity around and those things are taken away from you. Say it's about how great of an athlete you are and all of a sudden you break your leg and you can't play football anymore right. or whatever it is. Like those are all things that could be taken away. So let's base our manhood, our masculinity around intrinsic things. Let's mm -hmm. base it on our character, our integrity. Let's mm -hmm. base it on being accountable to ourselves and to other people. Let's base it on our self-discipline. Let's base it on what we can do in service of other people. Those are things that people cannot take away from us. Those come from inside. And those went against everything that my father believed in. So what I was doing by creating this program was like, let me help these young men establish ideas of what it means to be a man, which is against what my father was teaching me all those years ago. Yeah. So I did this program for many years. It was almost 14 years that I did this program. And I saw the enormous value. Our suspension rate in the school dropped like 400% in one year. Like the kids were coming to school on time. They were, and I, like, I'll tell you, I don't believe in like the grades and the standardized tests. I don't believe in that stuff, but that was the metric I was using at the time with what I had. And it was really successful. And yeah. these kids are now 29, 30 years old, Matt. And I still talk to these guys. That's right. I still have communication with these guys 14 years later. That's but right. what happened was I dedicated so much time to this. The, my boss, the superintendent, the boards of education and in, in, um, in schools, they were like, listen, our test scores need to go up. We need to raise our test scores. You need to be looking at the teacher's lesson plans. You need to be making sure that the curriculum is being implemented in the appropriate way. And I was like, I need to be doing this stuff. I need to be helping these young men understand what it means to be a man. And basically they told me, well, if you, you need to do this or you're basically fired, like we're going to get rid of you. And I said, you know, I'll make it a little bit easier for you. I'm done. I'm leaving education. So I left education this, and right after the school year of 2019. And I started this journey of, of building men. It hasn't been easy. It hasn't been smooth, but it absolutely has been worth it. Good for you, man. And I think that might have been right around. I mean, was when we first connected, when we first chatted, I want to say you were still in the system. Is that correct? Still loosely in the system. I was working as like a consultant with a couple school districts. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because I remember, I mean, I remember, I remember conversations around that around yep. really kind of coming out and going full bore. So, um, and that's another thing that I just highly, highly respect because I'm sure you've had this experience too. And, and, um, I have this experience quite often at this point and gentlemen, you will see this as well. I have a lot of, uh, I try to help as many people as I can. I try to help anybody that reaches out. I try to help at least to some level, uh, to serve them in a way that they deserve to be, to be served. And here's what I know to be true at this point after enough experience, uh, for every hundred or so people, I will try to help. And for every hundred or so people where I will try to open some doors, 
you've got very, very few of those who will actually initiative to walk through Roba or somebody. Okay, guys, guys, got to stay off of the mics, please. Um, it's just, it's very few that will jump in and just get after it. And we'll take the risk and we'll take the chance and go, okay, this is what I believe I am here to do. And they will actually push forward and jump in. A lot of people will talk about it. A lot of people will get excited about it. A lot of people will get motivated about it for a short time, but it's the long tail consistency of it, man, that they will, uh, that's where they'll balk. That's where they'll start to second guess themselves. That's where they'll start to play those games. So how do you make sure that you stay, especially considering the things that you had to already overcome, how do you make sure that you stay consistent with your mission? Because starting a business is ridiculously hard. And especially when you leave something you've done for so long, how do you stay consistent up here? Like, what does that look like for you now? Like your daily practice now, your self-talk now, like, what does that look like for you? Well, for me, I, it all starts with the daily habits. I'm sure these are things that you talk to your guys about all the time. And a lot of the things that I'm Great. saying will probably be consistent with things that you've heard from other mentors. For me, like my- That's the point, right? The good men have consistent traits. And that's the point. So yeah, please not to interrupt. Absolutely. Like my daily habit for my, my tomorrow starts tonight before I go to bed. It's the time that I choose to go to bed at night. It's the, the practice. Am I on my phone, like, like scrolling through TikTok or Instagram? No, like my phone is away. I have conversations with my kids. I, before I go to bed, like I will write down what I'm grateful for that day. Like, what are the things that I was really grateful for today before I go to bed tomorrow morning? Like I will get up before the sun comes out. I get up usually before five in the morning, I drink a glass of water and then I meditate and I go for a walk every single morning. And I, I go for a walk as the sun is rising. What I will tell you, I've interviewed so many guys on the podcast, on the Building Men podcast, where asking them for daily habits. And one of the things that I've heard is get outside every single day, let the sun hit your face, mm -hmm. like really experience the sun hitting your face, just that little practice. And then if you don't do any other exercise throughout the course of the day, at least you've done that. Yeah. I'll, I get, I do some kind of training every single day. And then I set my intention for the day as well. I love to write. I mean, I, there's, I have journals all over the place. I love to get my thoughts down. And then from that point, I get into my creative space for the day. So those are a couple of daily habits, but it, it, it's, it's centered around like the, my input and my output and input is also like this. This is part of your input, right? right? What you're allowing into your brain. So I don't touch my phone for like the first hour of the day yeah. because I want to start the day with my intention, not somebody else's stuff that they're putting out on Instagram or TikTok or whatever yeah. it is out there. So powerful. It's such a, it's such a habit for so many people and they don't realize what a, a horrible habit it is because uh, you do, you jump in and if you get yourself in the habit of like, okay, I'm going to grab the phone and go right in, you are likely not just to get some crazy input from Instagram, right? But you can jump into an email and you got somebody that's upset about something you got and automatically there's that stress before you've gotten out of bed, before you have set your foundation for the day, gotten your mind right to where, okay, now I can handle anything. You're, you're dealing with that while you're still in the way. And that's just the worst. It's the worst way to go, man. Worst way to go. 100%. I even think how many like conversations I have with my my own son and his friends. He's 17 years old. Yeah. How many of them grabbing their phone and they're going into the bathroom to take a poop and they have their phone with them the whole time? Yeah. And right. I'm sure like, some people like on the call look like, yeah, I, I do the same thing right now. Like yeah. even that, just be present in that moment without having your phone on your lap during that time too. I have it the whole time. I know, man. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an issue. So how does that, so when you've got 
this background, you're, you've stepped out, you're being intentional, you're building something else now, and you've got your own young man there, which is great because I love that he gets to watch you as you do this. He gets to, you know, more is caught than taught kind of thing. He gets to see you leading by example in that way. How else has that impact, though, your own background with that? How did that impact the way you have shown up as a dad like you said you know you said earlier um i i've got some things that i definitely didn't want to do do you ever find yourself slipping back into something that was there did you have to intentionally overcome that have you been full bore 180 degrees a different way like what does that look like for you as a dad as a as a father i think one of the biggest changes happened for me during covid mm. um and it was during that time it was like personally i was having a challenging time during covid and then some of the work that I was doing, this is before you and I spoke, Matt, um, the work that I was doing after I left being a principal was I was still working with schools as a consultant and as a coach, right? right? So schools would bring me in and I would help them really rethink how they build community, how they manage behaviors proactively and reactively, how the teachers are speaking to the kids. I mean, I'm sure you have teachers, you've had teachers in the past that the way that they speak to you leaves something to be desired. Sure. So I would talk to them about the intentionality around the, that piece of education. So when I left being a principal, I went into this other position and it was going well up until COVID. So when COVID happens, schools are shut down for a long period of time. Yeah. And for me, I was, I was an entrepreneur then. And so I was making money based on what I was doing and going into schools. So when school shut down, I went from making, you know, a six figure salary with benefits that it was, was great to making nothing mm -hmm. to making $0 for probably three or four months. Mm -hmm. And it was challenging. And during that time, I went into a depression and I was really, it was, I was really struggling. I put on a ton of weight. I was, I was drinking alcohol almost every single day. Like mm -hmm. I was, there was a lot of bad habits and I, the way that I looked to my kids was not the way that I felt good about. And so I'll, I'll tell you, there was one moment guys where I was like, like questioning everything. Like, what did I do? I can't believe I left being a principal. And now, you know, am I not going to be able to put food on my table for my kids and a lot of negative self-talk. And I remember I went for a ride and uh, I was in my car and during that time in COVID, no one was on the streets. It was a ghost town. Right. And I remember tears were streaming down my face and I was really like, what do I do? Do I try to get back into being a principal? I don't believe in it anymore. Is that the antithesis of what I left being a principal for? So I had a lot of these challenging talks with myself and a song came on the radio and I'll never forget it. Just like it was the moment that I needed to hear it. And it's a classic rock song. And I remember one of the things that I connected with my dad around was music. And I probably mm -hmm. heard this song a thousand times. And the song is already gone by the Eagles. Oh, yeah. 1960s, oh, yeah. 70s band or whatever. And the, the line in the song that struck me was this. It says, so oftentimes it happens that we live our lives in chains and we never even know we have the key. Yeah, I love it, dude. Love it. One of the best. I love it. And that hit me at that time, Matt. And guys, and I, I heard the lyrics and I was like, wait a second. And then I listened to it again and again and again and again. And, and that became like my mantra. Like if I'm going to make a change in my life, if I'm going to do something positive, the key is in here. I'm not looking to anybody else to save me. Like if you want something, you need to save yourself. You need to figure it out yourself. And I was like, at that moment, it was an immediate 180 shift. I'm going to change everything in my life. I got myself back into shape. I lost like 40 pounds over the course of the next three months. I Man. stopped drinking. I started these daily habits. Like I went all after it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is it for me? What is my, my mission here on this planet? And I went back to building men, went back to all the way that that 12 year old kid who needed someone there to support him. My experience working with that group of kids in college and then the building men program, I'm going to do something with building men. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do then. It was just this dream that I had with like, all right, let me figure it out. So I said, 
I, I'm going to figure out how to start a podcast. I've listened to a couple. This is something that I can do right away. So I taught myself how to start a podcast. July 1st of 2020, I released the first episode. It was called The Decision. Not knowing what I was going to do. It was ready, fire, aim. Not a whole big plan in place. It sounds ridiculous when I go back and listen to it. I, it sounds really bad. But what I decided to do is I'm going to put it all out there on the table. I'm going to learn how to do this, figure it out come up with some cool things. And then I started interviewing some unbelievable men from all over the world. Your man here, Matt, was one of the guys that I interviewed on the podcast. And, and now it's turned into a movement. Now it's turned into something where people are knocking on the door to come on and share their stories. And it's turned into this level of success that I never could have imagined two and a half years ago when I was in that really low spot. I'm so freaking pumped for you, man. I'm so pumped for you. I love that. And you guys, that whole concept of, dude, you've got the key. Oh, that's it's the one thing that you know if you guys get nothing else out of out of this entire 12 months together you know if you guys walk away with that understanding um then dude what's a then it's a victory right it's it because so many people and i had a call earlier today with a uh family is just like hey and it was a, a father and son they said hey can we jump on we'd like to learn a little bit more about apogee both what you're doing on the um you know on the young man side and on the dad's on the dad side and so sure so i jumped on a quick zoom call with them and they said okay well what are you going to do for what are you going to do for for our young man he's uh, 15 years old and he's on the call and i said well we're going to put out a roadmap but we're going to invite him to to take that on we're going to invite him to take on the challenges and the projects and okay but how are you going to make sure that he gets uh he gets something out of it i said we're going to literally put the best of the best of the best in front of him I can't force him to get anything out of it. He's got to want to get something out of it. Well, he's 15. He's got that. Huh. And it was just excuse. And I'm like, Hey guys, I'm going to go ahead and cut this short, man. This isn't going to be for you. Like we're going to lay this stuff out. We're going to put everything right here. We're going to offer you the opportunity to jump in and pull a ridiculous amount out of it, but you've got to want, I can't force that. I can't force it. You know, that's it. The key is in there. You know, and you're owning that dude. Oh, so excited. So gentlemen, here's what I want to do. I've got another question here that I want to ask uh, Dennis, but I want you to go ahead and start putting your hands up um, so I can start, start bringing you guys in. You guys can, uh, you guys are going to ask the better questions. Um, so put those up in the, in the chat and then uh, I'll start pulling you guys in. Um, but uh, you're talking a little bit about that in that intrinsic, you know, the, the intrinsic value and how, um, you know, those are the things that we can hold on to because those are things that are real. Those are the things that can't be taken away from us, you know, and that's something that's been coming up lately. We had Mark Bell on last week, um, if you're familiar with Mark and, and, um, kind of his whole story of, of being this, you know, world record holder. And now he's this millionaire inventor. I just spent a few days, the last few days I was with John Lovell. Um, we were talking about his young men and, and kind of like, it, and all these, we we're talking about legacy and we we're saying, look, man, the only legacy we can control, the only legacy that we can matter, that, that matters is who we are in here. And, and if we die, the people that we see every day, our families, our wives, our kids, what do they say about us? Like, that's it. There's your legacy. Anybody else, that's great. You hope you've impacted as many people, but that legacy is there because it's closer to, okay, who is that person really day in and day out, right? I mean, it's it's that. So how are you imparting that specific thing, these conversations you've had with these young men, how are you imparting that to your own son? Do you guys talk about those things? Is it just through example? Like, what do you do intentionally with him? Intentionality is the big word there, Matt. I appreciate yeah. that. It's so my son is 17 years old and on his 17th birthday, um, I brought him to the studio and uh, I interviewed him on the Building Men podcast. 
and mm-hmm. talk to him about his life and his experience. And it was really, really cool. And I basically, I told him, listen, I, I want you to be 100% transparent with this. So feel free to say whatever you want. I asked him, I said, what could I have done differently as a father? Yeah. Like, is there anything that, and he's like, dad, he's like, you, you nailed it. He's like, I don't feel like I would have asked you to, and like for me to hear that, it, it brought tears to my eyes. And there were things that I know that I would have done differently as a father. No, but the coolest thing is to, to see him leading right now. So my son is, he just had his last high school football game last night. Um, oh, he's wow. just, he started varsity quarterback as a freshman. Wow. Think about that 14 years old. And so he's been a varsity starter for four years when he took over as the freshman quarterback there. Um, they had a lot, they had, they had a um, systemic losing environment there. So they had lost like 50 straight games. So his freshman year, he comes on, they go, zero and 10, but he started every game that year mm-hmm. and he started to gain the respect of the older kids. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden his sophomore year, they won the first game of the season. And this was the COVID shortened season, won the first game of the season, wound up going five and three that year. Mm-hmm. And last year they wound up going 10 and one wow. in his year. And so the, the, what I saw him go through as a leader, yeah. when you talk about legacy, it's the conversations that we're having, just he and I having conversations about anything and everything, the time that we're spending together, but it's all done with intention. So we'll like, I'll want to teach him about perseverance, but it's not about me telling him about perseverance. It's about doing a workout to where he wants to quit. Right. I'm like, listen, one of the things my, I will tell my kids all the time. And it's the way that I end the podcast is go one step further than you thought you could go. Yep. I end every single podcast. And that's a lesson that I teach him, not by me saying, then do this. His name is Danny. But it's like, I will do this with you. If I, you know, if the lesson is about accountability, like we will talk about it, but then we'll, we'll be accountable to other people that way. So the way that I I do it is by intentionally putting these experiences in front of him and then having conversations around it, being vulnerable with my son. And then he feels the same way around me. There's a, I'm going to post it on Instagram probably tomorrow. There's a, after the game was over, just the embrace that we had, I'll get choked up right now thinking about it. But after his last game yesterday, just just hugging him as, as tight as I could. I was like, listen, I am so proud of you, kid. Yeah. You know? Oh, the best, brother. The best. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.